B3 Media. What time are you there? Uh, it's 10 to 9, so not, not too early for us. So hello, welcome to this episode of the interviews with me, Ian Barstow, and today I'm joined by Simon Dunn, um, who is uh, well known for being the first um, openly gay um, Australian or openly gay bobsleigh uh, team member. We will get onto that um, shortly as well. Uh, so hello, Simon, how are you? Thank you for having me. It's nice and early here in Australia, so I have to thank you for staying up. <laughs> so yes, you are in. Um, you are now living in Australia, um, and it's. Um, it's it's the next day over there. So how how is how is um, how is the next twenty four hours for me going to be? Can you tell me that? Does it work like that? Um, there's probably going to be more issues about with Harry and Meghan, um, <laughs> and then there'll be more coronavirus issues. And yeah, and I'm sorry. <laughs> how is um, so? We're recording this on Wednesday, the tenth of March. Um, is when we're recording this. How is um, how is australia and, and the covid situation over there are you you're not in lockdown anymore are you no so we, we've been really fortunate here because we our states ordered them like police themselves so we went straight into what the uk are doing as a stage four lockdown um initially and the rest of the world were saying how dictatorship it was but we my state alone hasn't had a locally transmitted case in i think it's 51 days um Things are returning back to normal um, very slowly. We still can't dance in nightclubs, but we can go out and have a drink as long as we're sitting down. Um, so life is pretty good there, and it's hard to watch what's going on in the rest of the world when we're lucky enough to be on a little island all the way down the bottom. Well, because I, I saw you posted a picture um, uh, on your social media recently of uh, Mardi Gras in a big stadium, um, and yes. I, I looked at that and I thought... I'm not jealous in any way whatsoever that I'm stuck at home in winter and you're you're out and you're you're being happy and you're partying even though you all sat down but you are partying. Um, so yeah, it's uh, hopefully fingers crossed in about another two months we might be there here here in the UK. I've I've had a lot of friends in the UK message me when you guys went into stage four lockdown complaining and I was like, you all went to Mykonos <laughs> last summer. You you can't tell me that you got. You got to go on a, a European holiday and you're complaining that you're now locked down. And like, I have not left uh, my state for over a year now and I'm able to go on a holiday this weekend. So I'm excited to go on a plane for the first time in a year. It's just, it's it's crazy, isn't it? How it, all, all of this started pretty much a year ago, around about now, most countries were starting to get um, impacted more and more by it. Um, and how quick that year has gone but also how long it feels since we were yeah. able to do what we wanted to do well it's, it's definitely dragged out now saying mardi gras was like the last major event in the world before cut the world pretty much locked down and then when it's also now become the first as the world slowly starts to open up hopefully i've never um i've, I've never been to australia um uh, it's always one it's one of those places i always say i i that and New Zealand, I want to go to at some point. Um, but Mardi Gras is so well known for being such a, a big celebration of of LGBTQ and, and and all of the all of the happiness and that goes around that. Um, is it still as 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 fun as it always looks whenever you see pictures of it? Uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. This year was restricted a little bit. It had to be within a stadium where people could remain seated. Um, generally, it will go up the main street, Oxford Street, which is traditionally the gay hub of Sydney. Um, but unfortunately, they couldn't risk having 500,000 people on yeah. the side of the road within 
close proximity. So they put it in a stadium. Um, seats were sold sporadically rather than person to person. And it, it, it worked out really well. Good. I, I, yeah, so I, I do want to get to Australia at some point. Um, it's always one of it's those. It's a long way. <laughs> well, yes, it's 24 hours, isn't it, pretty much? Um, yeah, basically, you get a layover somewhere and then you've got to get on another long, long-haul flight. Well, you have been, um, you've lived in, in quite a few countries, I believe, uh, reading um, some information. Yeah. So you were born in Australia in a town called, and I am going to apologise now if I get the name of this if this wrong, um, but it's uh, Wollongong. Is that right? Was that close? Sorry, I, I, yeah, Wollongong. Wollongong, the, okay. Name, but I, was, I was born in Goulburn, which is a actually a, a sheep farming town, um, but I grew up in Wollongong, which is just off the coast of, uh, just down south from Sydney on the beach, which is lovely. It looked it looked really nice. I had a quick look um, of some pictures, of it, and it did look it looked like a nice seaside town um, to to grow um, up it, in. It's technically a city. Um, we'll run with that, but <laughs> it is. It's, it, but the area I grew up is definitely a, a, a beach town. Um, so you were born in 1987. Um, so you yes. are 33 years old, uh, July 27th. Um, not long after me. So. Getting on. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've got 10 years on you. So, well, no, not 10 years, actually two, five years. Um, so I'm aging myself. Um, so yeah, you grew up now. Australia is, is always one of those places where it always seems quite liberal, but I think, is it, am I right in saying it's quite a conservative country? Um, correct. So it's unfortunately Australia, we've just gone through a series of, prime ministers who were very um, against marriage equality and those kind of things. So we were actually one of the, the last Western countries to have marriage equality um, come into place. Um, it's, although we are a country which is traditionally laid back, um, we, we do have old values and um, those kind of things that unfortunately do tend to hold us back. Um, so what was it like? So you... Um actually let's go back so you you grew up um uh in uh, it's sort of quite a, 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 a inner city um you loved rugby rugby was your was your sport you were a very sporty person um so when um when did you sort of first start to think actually i'm attracted to men or boys or uh, um when did that start to to come into your into your thought process and you sort of start to think i feel a little different to to the normal you my teammate um i don't admit it much but i actually grew up playing rugby league um i play, <laughs> I play rugby now um but I, I i try and brush that one under the rug um so was, i think the first time i can really look back would have been about 12 or 13 um and then a couple of years but a couple of years after that it was something i actually really tried to suppress i was one of those people who would not really just at all but i would try and pray pray the gay away every single night before I went to bed just because I couldn't fathom the idea of being a gay man or growing up, living a life as a gay man. So it wasn't until I got to about 16 where I started to come out that um, I had an option where sport, the two things that were my were part, such a massive part of my life was rugby league and my sexuality. And the only one of those that I could have, I realized I could change was sport. Um, so that, at that age was, around the age where I gave up sport completely um, until I was about 24. Um, moved to Sydney, um, went to too many clubs, drank too many beers and <laughs> danced on too many podiums, I think. Um, so what was your um, what was your coming out like? 
Um, was it accepted? Was it not accepted? What was... Because obviously it's something that every gay person goes through. They go through the, the process of, of coming out to friends, family, everybody, uh, and then you do it every day uh, as you meet new people. Yes. <laughs> you do. I, that, coming out is definitely one of those things that you have to do for the rest of your life every time you start a new job or anything. I'm fortunate now that I just bring up Wikipedia and show them to <laughs> get away from me. Um, no. um, but it, it, it was a process. So I, like a lot of people, came out as bisexual. Um, my mum got really difficult. She ended up kicking me out for a while. Um, sport, my sports teams became hostile, a hostile environment for me. Um, so for me at that time, it's at the time it felt like my world was completely falling apart. Um, what I had thought would happen before I accepted who I was, was actually coming to fruition. And I questioned whether it was worth it. Um, we all have thoughts about whether taking our own life is an option um how can what can i do to make things better but eventually i ended up moving to sydney and um even now it still still took a few years to even accept myself fully as a gay man um but now at 33 i can say um being gay is probably um the greatest gift that i've been given um it's it's paved a life and a career and um made me the person i am today so it's 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 one it's such a cliche thing to say that it does get better but it does um we're here now and got you up at 10 p.m at night and chatting on a podcast <laughs> and the reason i'm here is because of my sexuality so well i can't complain i i i think um so when i came out when i was 30 30 i was quite late in coming out Everybody knew, I think, but anyway, you accept you accept it yourself. Why doesn't he have a girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why have you never had brought a girlfriend uh, or introduced us? Um, I think it's one of those things you accept it yourself first. You've got to do that, um, and then as soon as you do that, you've then got a at the right time for you. That's when you do, you do it. Never be forced to do it. Always do it when it's right for you. But it is that massive weight just lifted off because you can be who you want to be. Um, and you don't have yeah, to I hide think, that. Yeah, that. That's just it. I think prior to me coming out, the stress of actually hiding who I was was much far worse than the repercussions of friend, losing friends, um, not playing sport, having issues with my own family. Um, the the stress and the the depression, the press, the sadness that I had prior to coming out was far worse than what actually happened afterwards. Because there's a massive issue of mental health in people that are in LGBTQ. Um, it, it is a massive issue for, for people struggling with mental health issues um, that are gay. Um, and I know it's it's one of those things that you've um, you've had you've struggled with in, in your life. Um, you've had problems with anxiety and, and your and your mental health. Um, how is your mental health now? And sort of what what helps you to to fight those anxiety issues and the mental health issues what 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 do you use to to improve your mental health at the moment um so for me i had a, a bit of a, a relapse of mental health issues um when i moved back to australia it was, it's a, a, an adjustment disorder um so basically to explain my story i'd been overseas representing australia things were going great moved to london had a amazing partner. I was, my career was fantastic. 
And upon moving back to Australia, I ended up at 31, no money, sleeping on my mum's couch in a small country town. And because of this, it brought on anxiety and a depressed state. And I went, I had to go see a doctor about it. And he was like, he diagnosed me with what the issue was. And he goes, you have, your body has had to deal with such a dramatic change um, that your, your, your brain is not actually dealing, be, finding coping me- mechanisms for it. Um, and he goes, before we put you on any medication, um, he's simply just, he's like, you need to create the habits that you had in London and Canada. Um, the things you were doing with your life, you need to recreate those to actually get your brain thinking that this is normal and that you're able to get through it. So the obvious thing for me was to go back to the gym, um, force myself out of bed in the morning, go to the gym. Um, I was chatting to my partner every day on, on this is before the pandemic. So not zoom, it was on Skype, um, or FaceTime. <laughs> um, it was just, yeah, it was just simply about creating habits, um, forcing myself to get out of bed, make my bed, go to the gym, have a good breakfast and just, think towards a more positive outcome because I, I i read somewhere years ago that you should always make your bed in the morning because if you never achieve anything else in that day you've always achieved one thing by making your bed i am um, i'm a massive advocate for that i never used to do it in my early 20s and when you when i became an athlete or something you you, you have it you have a, a schedule and it needs to be very you stick to it um so it, it became one of my habits then and um, just before we got on this this podcast, I was devastated that I hadn't made had time to make my bed. So the second we're done here, I'll be back in my room, tidying up my bed. Yeah, it is one of those things, and it's I, I've done it for years. And and every morning I will, even if I'm in a hotel, um, and you you only stop in one night and you leave, and I will always make the bed. And it's just one of those things. It doesn't take it. much. You just no. you just straighten up the straighten up the pillows, throw throw the the duvet over, and you're good to go. Um, but mentally, when you come home to a made bed. It, it, I think for me personally, it just it's so much nicer than coming home to a, a mess of a bed. So, And then you get annoyed when the dog has jumped on it during the day when you've been out and completely messed it up. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't got, I haven't got a dog, but I'm trying to get one at the moment. I'm just what, what on, t- on Instagram with my p- partner. I keep sending him videos of dogs, hoping he'll get the hint, <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> what type of dog? Um, we're, we're, we're debating it. Um, Hey, obviously we're going to be hysterical with gays and get a Frenchie because we do live in an apartment. Um, so we don't want something too big. Um, I wanted a, a more active dog, but it's just within an apartment. I think it's the nicest thing to do is not not get a giant Alsatian or something. So a message to the uh, to the partner: get a dog, basically. Oh, he'll listen to this and he'll get the hint. <laughs> um, Finally. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to um, to the sports side of it. So um, rugby league. I'll be honest. I prefer watching rugby league to rugby union, but that's by the by. I think I think the game's a bit faster. But yeah. I know that's a controversial subject um, of the two. Um, so you, you'd left sport for a while, and and then how did you get into bobsleigh? Because it's not a sport that you automatically think of of being the first choice for somebody to do. So how, how did you get into being um, in, into bobsleigh, particularly Australian bobsleigh team? Um, yeah, that, that's very true. So basically whenever you meet anybody on the bobsleigh circuit, the first question you have is what sport did you come from? Um, there's, a, there's only a very small group of people that actually start in bobsleigh and they're generally Germans. 
um, or <laughs> like Europe, Eastern Europeans. Um, but for me, I, 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 got, I got into bobsled. I moved to Canada because um, I started playing rugby again here in Sydney uh, for the Sydney Convicts, which is an inclusive team. Um, started playing rugby with them and kind of got the urge to, I'm back doing what I love. I'm, I'm happy finally to urge to go and see how far I could be, go as an athlete. So I moved to Canada, um, joined the local local league there, played for a team called the Calgary Canucks. Um, this is just a, a regular team. Um, Canada's so liberal that you don't need to be in an inclusive team because everybody's so nice and um, there's no, I didn't get any incidents of homophobia within the club, within the, within the entire country. Um, so I played two games with them. First game, red carded. Um, Canadian rugby is much softer than suburban <laughs> rugby here in, in Sydney. And there's not as many Islanders who, who take you out in Canada. And so you don't have to be as aggressive. Um, so, yeah, second game, I scored three tries in the first 10 minutes and was gassed after that. Um, after the game, we're in the clubhouse having a beer and a gentleman tapped me on the so- shoulder and he just asked if I would ever consider doing trying this sport because I was fast and strong. Um, that, that man was Heath Spence, who had just gotten back from Sochi because um, he was the pilot of the Australian team. And um, so I went to Canada to play rugby, played two games, and then transitioned straight into training for bobsleigh. And what is... So I presume bobsleigh is, it's very much about the power at the start. So when you push off, it's that almost sprinter type build and, and power that you need to be able to push. But yeah, I, so, so I'd imagine rugby is very good for that because rugby is very much, you've got to have the, the strength to withstand being bashed around by, by other men. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to have the speed when, you, when you've got a gap and you can run to the other side. Yeah, that's just it. The- so I, I was a brakeman on the Australian team. And my job was the first 30 meters um, to get the 200 kilo sled moving as fast as you can. Is that how much they weigh? Over those 30 meters. Yeah. Blimey. They're not light. And then you're gonna, you get into the four man, which are just basically pushing a bus down the hill. Um, they're <laughs> awful. Um, and then you've all got to jump in the bus when it only has one seat. Um, basically, yeah. So my job was to get it to go in as fast as quick down the hill to start off with. Um, once, once that's done, I jump in and pray. Um, and then you've got the pilot who who will guide it down the, the best line of the track to get to the bottom quicker. And what's it like being in? Because I can't imagine what it's like to hurtle down a, a hurtle down the track at eighty, ninety, over a hundred mile an hour. And some of them are they? It's... Yeah. Uh, so the fastest one, I'm not sure. Yeah, not sure of the conversion, but it's 150 kilometers an hour in Whistler. Blimey, that's... So that'd be about 90 miles, I think. <sighs> And it's literally you're in a fi- um, fiberglass tube about an inch off the ice surface. Yeah, pretty much. So it's, it's there's someone said it's like being in a washing machine with hammers. Um, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a smooth ride. If you tap a wall at those, those kind of speeds, you really you feel it. Um, it's 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 fun the first time. First time you do it, exciting. When you're doing it two three times a day, not so exciting. Um, you learn to feel when a, a run is good. So you can kind of predict when you're going to hit a wall or you're going to go upside down. Um, so you know when to hold on. It's that little bit tighter. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's an experience. Did you crash? Uh, a few times, yes. It's, it comes with the territory. You're not a bobsledder until you crash. 
And what's that like? Because it always I've I've seen a few crashes of of Bob. You know when you go onto YouTube and all of us on YouTube will just suddenly recommend a completely random video, and you'll watch it, and then for the next two weeks you've got oh you enjoyed that you've got all of these videos to watch. Um, I used to send those videos to my mum when I started. She hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Send him these. This is what your son is doing, putting his life on the line. Yeah. Um, Aren't you proud? <laughs> so you didn't see, you didn't get any. Um, there was no issues because you were the first openly gay um, bobsleigh athlete. Um, yeah. Did you get any? So there was no um, sort of homophobia, no nothing like like that in in that sport. Um, so before I even tried out for the, the team, um, I made sure everyone within the Australian team knew that I was gay. Um, I wasn't willing to be rejected like I had the 16-year-old me had playing rugby league. So I, I, it was straight on the table. Um, there's been articles saying that I came out already on, when, whilst I was on the team and I'd come out when I was 16 and made the team when I was 26, I think. Um, I was very out. Um, there was nothing hidden. Um, there's... Traditionally in professional sports, um, because everyone's there being professional, they're not going to say anything to you. Um, but you hear the whispers. Um, I had friends um, who within other teams who would come and talk to me about what, what other coaches or people had said. Um, I had articles written about me in Russia. Um, at the time, I was just excited to <laughs> have something written about me in Russia. I was like, ooh. Um, but it's just, it was, I think the article said that Bob says a man's sport, and that I'm ruining ruining the sport. Um, oh dear, <laughs> so that that's Russia for you. Yes, uh, yes. Probably probably not allowed there now, but I've ruined their their sport. Uh, but yeah, it was just most of the everything was whispers. You're always going to be the gay athlete. You're never the athlete. Um, I think that's that's the hardest thing is you're always pigeonholed into this into this category, and traditionally that category is seen as lesser or or not quite as athletic and you spend the whole time trying to fight to beat that but then you also it became bigger than me it's like it's also th- something that i wanted people to know because i wanted to make a difference i had a one of my coaches come up and thank me she, she's a lesbian um just saying that she hopes that doing what i'm doing will change the patriarchy of an old european traditional mentality that's in the sport do you think we'll get to the point where because obviously we have, um, there is a few, there is a few high-profile um, out gay sports people. So, um, Gas Thompson in rugby, um, Tom Daly uh, in diving, um, and <laughs> that's. I'm trying to. Think, I, I know Gus that Kensworthy. Yes, got sorry. Yes, Gus Kensworthy in. Um, Adam uh, yes, in diving as well, of course. Um, do you think? We still don't have a for the UK Premiership football player that's that's come out. We still don't have. Uh, I follow Formula One. There's no major sport, major motor racing star that I'm aware of that that has come out. Um, and obviously, through the law of averages and through the law of how many gay people there are in the world, there will be lots of gay people in these sports and high profile positions. Um, so, do you think we'll get to the point where it won't matter? that someone is um, gay. So I've, it... I've, got a, I've got a few theories on this one. So statistically speaking, there should be 10% of all athletes, professional athletes in the world should be gay. But I think because sport is inherently so unwelcoming for gay men traditionally um, that we drop out of sport earlier. 
So that in itself is going to bring that 10% stat down to a very small handful of men who were willing to put up with it or didn't have, have any issues with homophobia. So that 10% is now probably 1%. Yeah. And then you've got to put it into like Premier League. These players are on a couple of million dollars a year. And yes, it would be lovely for them to be the champion, um, be the face and come out. But when, when sport is so based on sponsorship, um, it's proven that gay athletes are less likely to be sponsored um, simply because of their sexuality. Um, when it comes to you earning so much money, um, no one's going to sponsor you. The fans are going to turn on you. Would you jeopardize a couple of million pounds a year um, just to come out? Um, so it, it's kind of a catch-22. It's a tough one. Um, I know personally, I was like I said before, I was already out, so it couldn't put me back in the box. <laughs> um, but I know personally, if I wasn't out and I was doing a sport where I was earning a few million pounds a year, um, I, I don't know if I would come out. And I, I, I think it's, it's unfair on those athletes too because they know when they do come out, people are going to judge them for not coming out at the time, but um, it's their lives. They've got to, got to, they've got to one, look after themselves and everyone's on their own journey and the community um, need to kind of have more of an understanding of that. Yeah. I, it, it's a very good point. It is, as, as I said earlier, it's, you've got to decide to do it on your own terms and never do it on the terms of somebody else or a story um, that is going to break or anything like that. Um, so do you, are you um are you conscious um of so obviously you have a, you have fame you have you have um you're known um do you ever sort of feel that people that you're around or people that you meet are, do you ever have that second thought where you say actually are they interested in me or are they interested in the fame or are they going to spill on me how do you keep that um i wish i had fame that paid bills <laughs> you had to get that one unfortunately Instagram really Instagram money. doesn't pay. <laughs> I wish. Boxley, no, you don't really get paid for that job. Um, um, yes, no, I, I've you learn to keep a good core group of friends. Um, they, the, my rugby mates, like they're going to be honest with me, and they call me out on everything. So uh, you you learn to value real friends over um, acquaintances. Um, I, I would if I ever get famous enough that I'm like a Hemsworth or something, then I guess you'll have to. I'd have to be a bit more um, cautious of those kind of people. But if anyone's just being friends with me because I'm known, they're not going to get anything. It's going to have me pushing some quality in sport or um, some HIV, trying to break down the stigma for HIV on them. So they're just going to get my the causes that I'm passionate about and have to deal with me ranting about those. Um, so talking of um, the the HIV side, obviously we've just had um, out It's a Sin. Has It's a Sin, have you seen It's a Sin? Yes. Um, I cried from episode two. <laughs> Colin. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I, 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 that was episode three. I, oh, is that three? Right. <laughs> yeah. Number two was when they were talking about what they want to do in 10 years. And I was like, I know how this ends. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not that final episode um i um i was speaking to i interviewed um michael cashman um who played colin in eastenders um and is now lord yep. and was the first gay kiss on british soap um and i said to him that 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 final episode from pretty much from the start i had that fit that lump in the throat 
And then it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the, so by the, the second half, I was like, oh, breathe in, breathe in. And then the bit... Yeah, I, was, I was doing the ugly, <laughs> that, that cry where you, you, your body's moving, not just your chest. Yes, yes. And then the bit, on the, the bit at the beach was the bit that hit me, sucker punch in the chest, um, when the mum tells the friend um, that he's not there. And it's just it was so beautifully done in the fact that it just went silent. And that was it. I was just... I went, oh my God, I literally, oh my God. And then that was it. I was crying. Um, but the actual program itself, I think, has done an amazing job. Um, there was a, a story out in, in the UK that the Terence Higgins Trust have said that um, HIV testing has gone up because of It's a Sin. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people have not forgotten about HIV, but it's not seen as so much of a, it's no, thank God, it's no longer a death sentence. People think, oh, you get it, you take a pill, you'll be fine. Um, so it is obviously isn't the case. It's still a massive issue. Um, so what's your, what's the, what are you doing for the HIV side of it? What organisations are you um, involved in? Further on with what you're just saying, I actually messaged Russell T Davies about it, just saying because I think one of the best things it's in done is, is shared the story of a generation to the newer generation. Um, I feel like even my generation, um, we kind of, it wasn't our problem. Um, it's kind of been forgotten. And it's funny, I messaged him and I was like, oh, I just wanted to thank you. Because you, as you just mentioned, I work with a lot of HIV charities. I messaged him like, thank you for sharing that message. And he wrote back, oh my God, Simon Dunn. And I, I like fangirled. I was fanning myself <laughs> and I was like, oh. Even, the fact you even know who I am, he goes, oh, you're great. And I was like, job it. So I've screenshotted it and I'm going to leak it to the Daily Mail. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, as you're saying, but um, I, so I've worked with Terence Higgins Trust in the UK. Uh, they're a fantastic organization and they do amazing work. And, and, and as you said, shows like this show the work that they do um, and how important it is. And, and then also here in Australia, I work with a charity called Bob, Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Um, with this foundation, it's good because they've allowed me to go out and actually do client client like outreach. Yeah. Um, so they will support people living with HIV, um, and and on varying levels, different things from having a cup of tea with them because they're homebound and they can't have anyone come in to going out and helping them pay their bills. So once I had the opportunity to work with them, I was like, good because this is it's nice to be face of a campaign or something but it's also nice to be able to go down and learn hear their stories and it's one of the most eye-opening um things i've had to do um because you hear their stories and i think that's why i cried a lot and it's a sin but it's also the most rewarding thing i've ever done for a charity was is just having a chat um meeting these people that had to live through um the age crisis and out of my friendship circles, I've ever known only I've only ever known one person who who died of an um, who had HIV and ended up dying because of a age related illness. But um, just to see these people that are still HIV positive for thirty years and still kicking and still able to make jokes and it's um, it, just... we've come so far in the treatment for HIV um, and and the, the treatment if you've if you've got it the prep. Um, which is um, is available in certain places in this country now, um, but it's it's another great leap. Um, but it is still a very serious condition to have, and it's and obviously the, the main thing is the safe sex. 
um, the practice of safe sex is is the main message. You don't want to get anywhere, be in a in a situation where you can catch it. Just practice practice safe sex. It's and I think that message, particularly in the UK, I think that's slightly gone down now. It's the sort of people think it's it's not so easy to catch or well, whatever. My, it's the reason I work with HIV charities. No, I work with a few a lot of charities, but one of the main causes that I try and campaign with is, is HIV. And because of this, I the reason for this is I, I'd come back, you had to come back every year to Australia to try out um, for the national team and then fly back to Canada and, and start training and competing. And I used to always stay one more weekend and that was the weekend where I'd go out clubbing. Um, I spent 12 months in Canada sliding down hills and lifting weights. And I was like, you know, what? I, need, I need to go out for a dance. And... <laughs> I remember being in a hotel, going down a lift, and I think I had five friends with me. And it's obviously pre-COVID when you could have more than two people in a lift. Um, and I looked around, and I was the only person in that lift who wasn't HIV positive. Um, these were friends that I'd known since I was 18. So at that point, would have been like 10 years. Um, these are people who weren't HIV positive before I left. And I was like, shit, the, the message isn't getting through somewhere here. Um, for some reason... My circle of friends, my generation, we just seem to be ignoring how how serious HIV is and that it's still an issue and and this is why we are where we are now. So I was like, basically straight from there, I started working with HIV charities to just try and, one, raise awareness that it is still an issue and two, break down the stigma. Um, I think the gay community, we can inherently be, we should be the most educated, but we can, we're also the most uneducated and we can be the worst when it comes to understanding and accepting those who are HIV positive. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, um, I think a lot of, <clears throat> from obviously from when it first came out and we had the massive scare campaign and it was the gay plague and it was only affecting gay people. And now obviously a lot of, particularly in, in Africa and places like that, a lot of the, the people that are diagnosed are, uh, women and, and it's all of that sort of stuff. Um, I think it does need more of a, perhaps a bit of a, push to get that safe sex well, message out because it's i think with things well, like that's just it that um statistically speaking the fastest growing group are the baby boomers um straight couples who are even now who didn't have the safe sex message because they were 20 and got married um they're now divorced and having casual relationships or the husband's popped off to to thailand for a boy's trip um, and then come back and also had sex with his wife. So these are communities that are missing message. Um, refugees, for example, they're also coming from countries where it's a large issue um, and they haven't had the same, same message. So it's, it's yes, the face of HIV transmission might be changing slightly, but it's still a massive issue within in communities. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it, yeah, it's it's one of those areas that is 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 sort of di difficult to get the message out sometimes to to people. And I don't think it helps that in this country, in England in particular, the sex education side of in school is so oh we can't talk about that because it's all blah 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 blah. They're too young and all that sort of stuff. It's like no, teach them teach them at the right age, but teach them young about safe sex and all of the stuff that goes with it, and then they have the message for the rest of their life rather than. Oh no! Let's shy away and then not talking about it. Let them let them look it up on the internet and find out how to do it. Yes. Then get some horrible <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Your Instagram social media um, uh, is obviously. How do you 
do you feel loads of pressure on things like social media to put out the pictures that people want to see or people you people are sort of so if you put out a picture of you i don't know eating your breakfast and then you put out a picture of you um stood in the pool in your swimming trunks um and the one eating the breakfast gets a thousand likes the one that the other one gets ten thousand likes how much pressure is there on you to to match the image that people think expect of you rather than sort of being um this is a big thing i noticed when i was competing in bobsleigh so i'd, I'd post a photo of me one day representing australia like what my the greatest achievement i've ever done to this stage hopefully i can do something else um i'd post a photo of that one day and then a couple of days later it'd be me in my underwear or something the photo of me representing australia would get a couple of thousand likes the one of me in my underwear would get five times what it did and i was and it it, it frustrated me at the time because I was like, these people are following me because I'm a gay athlete, but they don't seem to care about any of the athleticism stuff. Um, but now that I've matured a little bit, um, I see the value in being able to use social media to post about the work I do. Um, yes, a photo of me um, working with an HIV charity or of me doing something with sport. It's not going to get as many likes, but it's because of the other stuff that it's been able to be noticed. And through that, I've been able to post articles, um, do interviews like this, and to share my story and hopefully continue to do the work that I do. Um, so as annoying as it is, it's just it comes with the territory of social media, I think. Um, do you have that um, reminder on your phone to sort of say, oh, I need to post a <laughs> picture to Instagram? No, it's not quite that bad. No, I think no, I'm, I, I, my, my manager would generally, he likes me. He's like, you need to post something this often. And my life's not that interesting. Like, <laughs> what am I going to post? So I spent a year not being able to go out, like go anywhere. Um, <laughs> so he's going to post a picture of me training someone at the gym or like doing volunteer work. It's like, there's not that much I can show you. And until I'm, I'm rich, there's not going to be much more. <laughs> I am going. I'm going to on a holiday this weekend, so you might get a photo of me on a beach. Jealous? Not <laughs> that you're on a beach. Definitely not jealous. Um, do you think things like social media, because they are massive, and and it does give, um, it can give people an unrealistic representation of what people are like. So obviously, if I if I open my Instagram now, <laughs> um, and I go onto the for follow you page or the um, the for you <laughs> i've just got a minus my mostly cars and puppies <laughs> uh mine seems to be oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, seems to be shirtless men uh pretty much everything um and obviously got at the moment. you look at that and every picture that you see on there is all of these sort of really i've got i've got a mixture of puppies and shirtless workouts so oh there's a bum there Jeez. oh it's a dog's bum actually look, look it's a puppy it's a pu- <laughs> <laughs> That little thing. <laughs> um, as Someone long as, wants a dog, clearly. <laughs> yeah, it, it knows what you're searching for. Um, do you think that that's... We have to be careful of about how much that does show younger people an unrealistic expectation of what you should be like. It's um, Definitely. So I, I, when I went into my depressed state two years ago, um, I was posting old photo shoot photos because I wanted everyone to think that my life was was grand and everything was great. But at the time I was at home, devastated, crying myself to sleep, 
thinking that I had done something wrong with my life and I was a failure. Um, and, it, and then I eventually said, you know what, I've been completely honest on social media in my life thus far that I need to continue doing that. And the, the social, the, the image we all put out on social media is how we want people to perceive us. It's not, you need to take social media with a grain of salt yeah. because we're all here being like, Oh, this person's life's amazing. And we don't really know what's going on. And it's probably not. Um, they're probably sitting there worrying about what you're, what people are commenting on their photos and liking their photos and, and spending more time doing that than actually enjoying life. So I think we need to look at it as, as it is, is that we're putting, they're putting forward the face that they want you to see, not actually what's going on. See, I, I do, I, I, my social media is mainly my photography. So I, I do motorsport photography um, when we're allowed to go back out to motorsport circuits. Um, and you'll post a picture and it's like, I, said, I think that's a really good picture. And you stick it up there and you, then you look and it's like 10 likes. And it's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> and you start thinking, why am I getting so obsessed with how many likes I get on Instagram for a picture? Because there's literally hundreds of millions of pictures every day. Um, you've got to try yeah. and it's unlikely, especially with it doesn't show you in order now. It shows you what it thinks you want to see. Um, it's unlikely you're going to get the loads of likes on a, on a photo. Um, yeah, it's... I sometimes think I'd just delete social media, but then it's like, nah, I, don't, I enjoy it. <laughs> have you, are you on TikTok? Good. Um, yes, I, I joined the other week. It's, prepare, um, to, pre- prepare to be addicted <laughs> is, is all yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just shit, isn't it? it there like, is a, stuff there, on it, you just look at it, you're like, what is the point? There is a lot, but then... 18-year-old dance around to a song. But then two hours later still there that, yeah, <laughs> swiping just, just clicking, <laughs> through they're only 30 seconds each and you've watched two hours worth yeah it's um it's it's a dangerous game is tiktok um so what's um what's next for you then what's next for your um for you as simon dunn as the as the brand simon dunn as the person um where are you where are you seeing yourself going um so right now I'm just working on a few. I've obviously continuing my ambassadorship with uh, the charities I work with. So Bobby Goldsmith Foundation and Give Out Day. Um, we're going to move forward with that. There are a few more in the pipeline to actually work with more sports focused kind of advocacy work um, and just trying to continue doing that kind of stuff. My uh, my personal training side, which I'm looking to release an online programming um, app, um, that's not the fun stuff. The other stuff is like, but I, I, I prefer to do advocacy work. So just working more on that kind of stuff. Nothing too exciting. I'm stuck in the country. So are you, I'll um, see you all in a few years. <laughs> is, um, it is, are you still, um, or when are you allowed to play rugby now? Is that gone? Are you allowed yes, to play that um, again? We were allowed to play last year. We got a total of seven games. Um, so, but we are in preseason training. Um, even though I've retired four seasons in a row, <laughs> I'll give it a, I'll, I'll have another run. Uh, um, I, I am training for another year. The team you play for is, is uh, the convicts, did you say? Yes. The um, convicts. So it's an inclusive team. Um, yep. and, and by that, I presume it means that you accept straight and gay people. Um, yep. and what, what Lee is that? Do you play in, so, in a normal league with, with, I'm 
I'm not going to say normal teams, in a normal league with different teams that aren't sort of classes as inclusive, English. so to say. Yeah, so we, we, we play in suburban, suburban rugby, subbage rugby here in Sydney. Um, if it were to only verse gay teams, it would be us playing ourselves every weekend. <laughs> um, so it might not surprise you, there's not that many inclusive teams. Um, but yeah, so we play suburban rugby um, here in Sydney. Um, and that varies. It can be teams from all over Sydney, um, giant islanders who just run around the park and make you question why you play rugby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to little little rich white boys who just run around you because they're they're twenty and you're thirty. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun. It's just good to go out and have a run. Because um, rugby is always one of those sports that if you watch, so I don't know, Six Nations, they can be absolutely kicking seven bells out of everybody. Um, and there's fights and there's arguments. Um, and then the tackles. Some of them you just think, how do you get up from that? Um, and then as soon as the match is over, it's always one of those sports where it just seems to end on the field. It doesn't carry on. Um, and I also like the fact that um, the, the referees are listened to. I hate in football yeah. when a referee gives a decision and all the players crowd round. In rugby, the referee would just go, put the hand up. Yeah. Go your teammates would, if, if you spoke to a ref like that, the coach would pull you off or your teammates kick you off. Um, rugby's big on respect. Um, you even on the field, like obviously where you get the occasional homophobic comment, but to generally, if a player does that, his own teammates will be the ones that call him out on it. Um, never even fathom speaking to a ref like they're doing football. Who That's was the just, rugby player uh, that um that had the what was his name? The one that had the said that gay people are going to hell unless you oh, repent. Um, that was it. Yes. He's trying to come back in it, to play here and it, and unfortunately he wanted to play for the team that I support as a child. Um, we just can't get rid of him. It's he's just... saying that every time he says something, I'm more than happy to call him out on it. He's blocked me on social media, so he can't see it. <laughs> so every time he tries to come back, I have to go to the media and be like, go away. <laughs> he's an old man now. It, it's, yeah, it's just, it's one of those people who used to think, and again, it's that religious thing. It's that... I, it, I'm not sure. Are you are you still a, a religious person? Would you class yourself as a as a religious nah. person? No. No, no, not at all. It's um, I just don't under I don't get the fact that religion religion is used to sort of against gay people a lot. It's against our it's against our religion. Well, yes, yeah, so is um sowing seed two different seeds in there, and you can send your wife to slavery. But and all I that think that's the issue it's... with a lot of religion is they pick and choose um the the sins that don't suit them um. Any, anything that does suit them that's not a sin anymore. Um, and the irony is that religion based Jesus in religion was accepting, um, help the poor, help the sinners, help thieves. Um, but yet now religion is doing the opposite and is unaccepting, judgmental and persecutes those who might need help. Um, but yet they... They don't want to help them. It's Australia quite Australia's quite a religious country, isn't it? It's more religious than I, I, I always thought it was. Is it, um, is it changing or is it still very a very religious like, one? We're discreetly religious. Um, <laughs> like Christmas here is just a day for us to get drunk and those kind of things. There's, there's religion here, um, but as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of religion managed to find its way into politics, and that's why marriage equality didn't come through. Um, we're not overtly religious, but it's it's here. We've got Hillsong. Um, Justin Bieber's church. 
started here and those kind of things. Um, Justin Bieber's church is that his? I didn't know he was. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's with Hillsong. Oh, okay. It's like a, is that a church? A... They sing and they sing a lot and oh, right. very cultish. <laughs> another reason not to dislike, another, not to like him. Um, <laughs> so, um, when did marriage equality come in? What year was? Um, it was when I was in London, so. 2017, 2018. Um, and marriages didn't dissolve around the country. The country didn't collapse because marriage... We did was... have a massive fire. <laughs> Awkward. Um, and then we had a flood. And then we had a pandemic. So you tell me. Maybe we're wrong. <laughs> I always remember a UKIP MP uh, or MEP um, said something about, oh, uh, all this bad weather, it's all the gays' fault. And I was like, if only yeah. we had the power... We'd have yeah. we'd have sun all year round and then snow well, on Christmas maybe Day got, and maybe God does like us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very true, very true. Um, okay, brilliant. So Simon, thank you so much for joining us on um, on the interviews. Thank you for having me. Um, where can we find out about you? What are your uh, social media and your websites? Um, so anything at by Simon Dunn is all my hashtags or social media handles. Um, you can see the work mainly on Facebook if you want to see read articles and if you want to creep on me, Instagram's the go-to. <laughs> like. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Russell Tovey liked that one. I like that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> if you know Russell, can you send him a message? I want to get, do an interview with him and, you know, I can't get back I used to, to I play rugby with his ex. Oh, did you? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was like, yeah. Um, I, I forgot to ask I forgot to ask um, Queer as folk. Um, was that one of the first programs you watched that sort of you, you watched it and you went oh <laughs> it was what the, um, it was I didn't watch the UK version I watched the American or which is the Canada version it's a lot more it's quite a bit more um, not graphic but it's quite a bit more racy than the UK version I think isn't it from what I've seen of parts yeah yeah it's a bit much I used to watch it as like a when I was like what would it be like 14 listening for mum coming down the stairs tv turned down turning the channel <laughs> yeah oh, i'm not watching that and my room is so big and my tv was right near the door if she'd just gotten i'm sure she heard it if only you had your airpods then. watching i know we didn't have that kind of technology back then how long ago was that it was like 20 years ago god yeah i i say queer as folk was was watching it upstairs and in my bedroom tv turned down <laughs> making sure no one would hear i remember I remember watching it and being like, oh, gay lives aren't this dramatic. They are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, that was exactly what gay lives are like. And, and I was always a fan of Charlie Human, uh, whatever his name is, uh, ever since, um, after that first scene in the UK one. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> uh, Simon Dunn, thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on the interviews. Thank you for having me. These three media.